The deeper Christian life is no deeper than that of the clear teaching of God's Word. It is not a mystery withheld from anyone, but made known to all who will listen and obey. Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. May Christ lead you deeper into Himself today as together we explore God's Word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. John chapter 1 introduces Christ as the light that was coming into the world, and it came. Verse 9 calls our Lord that true light that lights every person. It is a statement with various facets of meaning, but in the end it means that Christ is the igniting light of every person's conscience. And when he came into the world, he set people's consciences on fire with his own presence. And their response to this light was to try and put it out. They treated Jesus just like an individual may treat his own conscience, with disregard, with contempt, with an attempt to smother it. Last week, we put our attention on verse 9. We'll begin there again. And our focus on verse 9 was to understand what it was when it spoke of the Lord Jesus as the true light, that true light. And we spoke of the fact that that is a reference, at least in part, to the creative power of the Lord Jesus, giving light to all being, being the source and the spark or the center or fountain of all of the energy of physical being, even the light that shines in the eyes of every living man and woman. That is Christ, the light that is given to every person. But we noted that John is moving from simply an attestation of the physical creative powers of Jesus Christ, and John is moving into his spiritual impact upon our lives. And we noted that even more so, this expression here in this passage, that true light which lights every man who comes into the world, is an expression of the light of conscience. The Lord Jesus is the impulse, the instigator. His very presence is the presence of conscience or what stirs up conscience in every creature upon the face of the earth. And our conscience is a very solitary thing. It's something that is unique to ourselves. No one in a group feels guilty altogether. Each individual feels guilty in himself for his own act, his own behavior. When we go and we deal with our conscience, we don't wrestle with what we have done. We wrestle with what I have done. The conscience is the individual being probed by the impulse of the Spirit of Christ to be brought before the moral law that resides in all of the universe. When God made the world, He didn't make the world only with physical laws. He created the world with moral laws, and they're in place. And the Spirit of God probes us in those areas of the moral law. And you can read about that in Romans chapter 2, where it speaks of the Gentile who hasn't been given the written law that is a law unto themselves, having the law written on their hearts. It's the conscience. It's the moral law. It's the conscience probing the moral law. That conscience actively presses upon the individual, and the individual, no matter what they do, cannot quite extinguish it. They cannot dismiss it altogether. That conscience is expressed in Herod. Herod throws a great a party for all of his friends. He puts himself in a compromising situation because a young woman, Salome, his wife's daughter, comes and dances before him, and he's so impressed, he tells Salome to make any wish that she wants, and he will give it to her up to half of his kingdom. 
She goes back to her mother, and the mother says, ask for the head of John the Baptist. This is something that Herod didn't want to do. He is a superstitious man, and he knew that John the Baptist was somebody who was a prophet of God. But Herod's pride was such that he wouldn't relinquish his pride, and so he had at that very moment John the Baptist's head taken off from his shoulders. Now, some time passes, we read in Mark chapter 6, the Lord Jesus begins to work a number of miracles. People are relieved of the demonic possession. Those who are hungry are being fed. Those who are sick are being healed. And he's teaching great truths. And the word and the whispers of the life of Jesus comes back to Herod. And Herod says, this is John the Baptist come back again from the dead. And what makes Herod draw that conclusion? His conscience wearing away at him in all of his pride and all of his aloofness and all of his power and might before all of the people. His conscience still bears in upon him. You'll see another example of that in 1 Kings chapter 17 where Elijah is sent to the widow of Zarephath and there he provides for her and for her son during the midst of a great famine and they care for him and he lives with them and he resides with them. Later on in the chapter, the widow of Zarephath's son takes ill and he dies. And in verse 18, the widow comes to Elijah and says, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to recall to my mind all of my sins? Her son has died. And yet this act somehow has provoked within her a conscience. The thought of the things that she's tried to dismiss and tried to put beyond her and behind her and she's never entirely resolved. Well, this is what the true light sparks in every living being. We also said, and this is the second note, that Christ is not the same thing as your conscience. He is the light that sparks or gives energy to that conscience. He is the presence that brings or quickens or brings that conscience to life. And the more aware we are of His presence, the more sharp, the more focused, the more strong is the witness of our conscience, the more it bears in upon us. He's not the same thing as our conscience, but He's the light that shines upon us that sets the shadows of conscience against the wall of our hearts and brings them into sharp, into sharp definition. Throughout all of history and the history of the human race, since the moment of man's fall into sin, wherever you see the Spirit of God working to convict people of their sins, you see them being brought near to the presence of the Lord Jesus. Every time that you see men grappling with their conscience before the moral law, you know, you know, whether they know His name or not, Christ is present there. The true light is lighting every man who comes into the world. That's what's taking place. And in fact, the Lord Jesus speaks during His lifetime of a period that would take place, the time and age in which we live in today, in which this conscience would not diminish, but it would increase. Sin would abound, but not the conscience. The light of the conscience and the argument of the conscience would not diminish, but it would increase in the lives of individuals, and it would increase through a wonderful event. Christ would ascend into heaven, and He would pour His Spirit out upon all of His followers and believers, and they would become intensifying lights of the conscience presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and through that work, they would intensify, they would sharpen or bring to the highest point the convicting work that God has been rendering throughout the history of a sinful human race. 
John chapter 16 refers to it in verses 8 through 11, and we refer to it often in our church. When the Spirit has come, the Lord Jesus says, He will convict all men of sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, He's always been doing that. But now He says, this is how I'll do it. Of sin, because they believe not in Me. Of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see Him no more. Of judgment, because through His cross, the Prince of the world has been judged. In other words, He's referring to, in that passage, that when the Spirit has come, He's referring to that day of Pentecost, that day when the church would become filled with the Spirit and presence of the Holy Spirit, bringing to them the person and the message of Jesus Christ. And as they go forward filled with that Spirit, bearing that message, they become a light in the world of conscience. It's a good thing. As a result, Christendom has come to be. It's not Christianity. But a civilization has grown up that has been largely influenced by the light of the conscience of the person of Jesus Christ. As a result as well, persecution abounds because people don't like the light. They love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And every act upon the Christian is simply an act against and a striking out against the light of the person of Jesus Christ. But this is our role. This is our place. These are some of the things that we have been discussing and we've talked about. Now... Here is what we learn in verse 9. This is the note of anticipation that's given in verse 9. This true light that has been described to us in the first five verses and then in verse 9. This light which is representative of the one who holds all creation together. He is the spark of life that gives light to the eyes of every person. He is that true light, that true undeceiving, underived, real, super eminent light. He's the light that lights every person who comes in the world. He is the light of conscience speaking to all people, every person on the face of the earth. This light, John says, was coming into the world. The question in that statement to be asked is, what will the world do with him? How will they address him? How will they handle the flash of light that's been with them all along, but now will come and reside in their very presence. What will they do? How will they treat Him? Of course, the Gospel of John goes on to tell us how men will treat Christ. We understand something of the way. From the very beginning of His early birth, we see how men will treat Him. He was shunted to a stable. They made a place for Him, but not much of a place for Him. What I mentioned last week is that we'll find in many ways that individuals will treat Christ in the same way that they treat their consciences. As I just said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They turn away from Christ in the same manner in which people today and always have turned away from the true purpose of the conscience. And just as they treat their consciences, so they treat Him. With some attention, but ultimately with a certain definite disregard. This is what we're going to talk about in the main points of our message. But let me make one other note here. Let me single one other note here. Most of us don't enjoy our consciences. Our consciences don't generally make us comfortable. Oftentimes we can't live without them, but oftentimes we try to avoid them. They point out to us things that we rather not see or have pointed out to us. They take away some of the thrill or enjoyment we have in our own self-indulgence. But our consciences are the things that to a large extent secure for us our humanity. They're the thing that the Lord Jesus has given us, lighting every man that comes to the world, that raises us above every other creature to a higher spiritual and moral stature than any other created being. When humans are ruled by their conscience, they 
become a blessing. Their lives establish a kind of order in the world around them. When they do not and will not be ruled by their conscience, they cast themselves down to a position that is below the rest of created order. You know, a person commits some evil act or sin, and the commentators say that that person was behaving like an animal or a beast. But such a declaration is an insult to all animals and beasts. No, that person was behaving like a human who ignored and went against his own conscience, and as a result, betrayed his own humanity. That's what he did. That's what it is. The Bible speaks of a day when the Lord Jesus is going to return and He's going to rule the world with a rod of iron and He's going to bring to bear upon men the power and strength by His Word working upon us, bringing us into conformity to our consciences and it will be an age of peace. It will be an age of peace. But this conscience is what makes us human. This is not revolution. This is not some great thought. Even the people who wrote the fairy tales knew this. Don't you remember the story of Pinocchio? The little wooden boy? But what did Pinocchio need to become a real boy? If you want to, you can watch the Disney movie, right? If you don't want to read the book, if it's too deep for you to read the book about Pinocchio. He needed a conscience. He needed a conscience to become a real boy. That's what brings to us this unique expression that rises us be of all the other created beings that makes us truly human is this conscience. I'm glad you're listening in today to The Bread of Life, a program of the International Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and the local Mission Fellowship Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. Your contributions make this possible. To learn more about how you can support this important work or to get a copy of this message, go to breadoflifeboise.com. Until the next time, may God bless you.